podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, November the 16th. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Hope you're all well. Hope you all had a nice weekend. Um, Certainly a better weekend, I think, than the English national football team did. Losing 2-0 to um to belgium and then therefore failing to qualify for the nations league finals uh i think it's fair to say that there's more questions than answers with gareth southgate his propensity to play negative football uh to pick a lot of defensive minded players in his team has come in for a lot of criticism in recent weeks and rightly so um there's when you have the talent that England have, there really isn't an excuse for the team he's putting out. Um, you look at last night's team, Jordan Pickford plays in goal despite dreadful form all season. Uh, a back five with Kyle Walker, Eric Dyer and Tyron Mings as, as the three centre-backs. Trippier and Chilwell as wing-backs. You'd have to question why Trippier is in the team at the moment. Um, he's, he hasn't been playing well for Atletico Madrid. You go with two holding midfielders in Henderson and Rice. So you've basically got seven defensive-minded players in the team. Then you go with Mason Mount in your front three, who, although he is an attacking midfielder, he's not necessarily a goal scorer or creative player at this point in time. It is something he has in his game. But he's very much become somebody for Chelsea who plays off the ball quite a lot, who really focuses in on pressing, runs off the ball, winning the ball back high, being a functional part of the team rather than being a potential match winner. Um, And then Jack Grealish and Harry Kane. And what that team screams is a lack of pace, a lack of real thrust. Uh, you look at the bench and Jaden Sancho sitting on the bench. But aside from that, you know, it, it's just, it's very disappointing to look at this England squad with the talent available to Southgate and see that this is the team that he puts out on a regular basis. This decision to stick with a back five, despite not really having the players for it. Uh, is is quite concerning. Now, obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold will come back into this team for Trippier. You'd imagine Harry Maguire comes in for Eric Dyer or for Tyron Mings, one or the other. Um, but for me, Calvin Phillips should be in the team, but I, I don't imagine he will be. I think it will be Rice and Henderson as the, the pairing moving forward. But up front, I mean, Sancho has to start. He just has to start. He is the most talented player England have at their disposal and playing him for the last 20 minutes is just not going to get you anywhere. Um, especially when you're already 2-0 down at that point. 
and and getting comfortably beaten. You look at you look at that uh, Belgian team, and they again they went three uh, three four three as well. But Thibaut Courtois on goal, Alderweireld, Denier, and Vertonghen's proper balance, Mounier, Tielemans, Witzel, Torgan has it out of place, but he is going to offer a lot going forward from wing back. And then Kevin De Bruyne, Dries Mertens, and Romelu Lukaku up front. No, obviously, no, obviously, no Eden Hazard in the team. But you look at the the difference in those teams. There's not a massive gulf in quality. Central midfield, you would say Belgium have a good advantage. But in attack, I mean, it shouldn't be the case that Belgium have a much better attack. England have incredible attacking players. Southgate just doesn't seem to want to use them, doesn't seem to trust them. This whole international break has been a bit of a farce from all angles. There's been a lot of players have picked up injuries. Uh, we saw Nathan Aki get hurt. Um, Joe Gomez, obviously, for Liverpool. More bad news for Liverpool is that Mohamed uh, Salah has COVID and Andy Robertson has a potential hamstring issue. So you really do have to wonder what sort of team they'll be putting out against Leicester at the weekend. Now, that's not going to be an excuse for Liverpool because Leicester have been without their back four and their holding midfielder for the majority of the season so far. Ricardo Pereira is yet to play. Castanier has been out. Evans has missed games. Sayuncu has missed games. Ndidi is out for a number of months. James Madison missed time. So it's not going to be an excuse for Liverpool. But it is something they're going to need to address. Now, reports in The Athletic today suggest they're not going to try and sign a central defender in the summer. And I have to believe that is just Liverpool putting that out there so to enable them not to get absolutely rinsed when they go to approach a club in January. Maybe they already have something done under the radar. Possibly Ozan Kabak from Schalke. One they've definitely had their eye on for the last 12 months. but. I don't think Liverpool can afford to not sign somebody. They've got one senior centre-back left at the club in Joel Matip. And it's not like Gomez and Van Dijk are out for short periods of time. They are out for the long term. Van Dijk has a torn ACL. And we don't know if anything else is wrong with that knee. We know it was a torn ACL. We don't know about anything else. Joe Gomez tore his patella tendon. That is one of the most horrific injuries you can suffer. And the chances of him returning and recovering the form that he was showing before he got hurt are very, very low. And that's Joe Gomez's fourth major surgery at 23 years of age. The one fit centre-back they have is Joel Matip, who, to be fair, when he plays, is very good, but he is injured constantly. And behind that, you've got Nat Phillips, who's 23 and played one senior game for Liverpool in, in the Premier League. You've got Reese Williams, who's 19. Liverpool need to address that situation in January. It's, just, it's as simple as that. Um, some bad news over the weekend in the passing of Ray Clemens. One of the greatest goalkeepers England has ever seen. A legend at Liverpool, where he won... Five league titles, an FA Cup, a League Cup, three European Cups, and two UEFA Cups. 
before moving on to Spurs and becoming a legend there, winning an FA Cup and a UEFA Cup. Ray Clemens, arguably the finest goalkeeper of his generation, arguably the best goalkeeper that Liverpool ever had, maybe the best goalkeeper that Spurs ever had. I know they had Pat Jennings, but you know you can you can make an argument between the two. I think they're both all-time greats. He's only 72. It, it's tough to lose someone that early. Um, he'd obviously been coaching with England over many years, senior level and under-21 level. Um, it, it's just, it's tough. It's tough when you lose a legend of the game this early. I mean, we've seen this year a number of the, the players from the 1966 England team passed away. Nobby Styles, Norman Hunter, Jack Charlton. We had the news that Bobby Charlton has dementia. You know, we're, we're starting to say goodbye to real greats of the game. Men who forged the way, who shaped football. Icons. I mean, that 1966 England team, they're icons. They're the only England team to win a major international tournament. And as things stand, they will be the only team, the only men to win a a senior international tournament for England for quite a while. But it's difficult to say goodbye to Ray Clemens. As a Liverpool fan, he's part of the fabric of the club. Somebody you heard tales of about, you know, what a great goalkeeper he was, the, the saves he made, the way he played out from the back and things like that years years ahead of his time um those who watched him play tell me he's the best goalkeeper Liverpool ever had and I have no reason to doubt them three European Cups five league titles speaks volumes rest in peace Ray Clemens uh one of my favorite players retired this weekend uh Javier Mascherano winner of five league titles and couple of European Cups with Barcelona, 147 Argentine caps, obviously played for River Plate, Corinthians, West Ham, Liverpool, Barcelona, heavy China fortune, and uh, Estudiantes in uh, in Argentina. And um, retires at the age of 36, and he was just an incredible player. He was one of the best holding midfielders I've ever seen. Played as a brilliant centre-back for for Barcelona. He was a great player. He just was a great player. And um, there's been rumours that he'll go into management, and I hope that he does. If he does, I'll follow his career very closely as I have his playing career. He's one of my favourite Liverpool players of all time, even though he was only there for a short you know, three-year period. But um, a, a truly top-class player who, if you see the analysis he does sometimes on Twitter uh, about games and goals. He really does see the game at a very high level. Um, yeah, it's, you know, when you start seeing players of that nature retire again, it, it does kind of, it does date things. Right. Um, obviously, there's no Premier League football this weekend. This past weekend, I should say. So, there's not a whole lot to really talk about. I mean, I want to have a quick look over the the league table where we see Leicester 
sitting top, um, 18 points from their eight games. Had that little spell of, you know, back-to-back defeats. Looked like things might be getting a little wobbly for them. Um, but they have bounced back very, very well. The, the West Ham and Villa losses, they've put them firmly in the rearview mirror. And they've moved on, beating uh, Leicester. Sorry, beating Arsenal beating Leeds in a very, very impressive victory, and uh, and Wolves last time out. So they're in great form, and they're, you know, they're rightfully top of the league right now. They've been playing very, very well for the majority of the season. And when they get their players back, when they get every, like, Pereira and Didi, Sionchu, when they get these guys back, they're, they're going to be very hard to beat. They really will be hard to beat. Spurs sit second. Just the one defeat for them so far this season. That was on the opening day against uh, Everton. A very flat performance. And the only other two games they've dropped points in were the Newcastle game where they were 1-0 up in the 97th minute. And that bizarre penalty was called against Eric Dyer. And the West Ham game where they were 3-0 up and threw it away. So you look at Spurs and... Aside from that Everton game, first day of the season, I mean, they have been very, very good. They've been resilient. They've been lethal in attack. Son and Kane are playing incredible football at the moment. They are maybe a little bit over-reliant on the two of those, just in terms of, you know, who's scoring the goals. Those two have 15 between them out of a total of 19. So you'd like to see some others step up in that regard. But, look, it's better to rely on two than on one. So. Spurs are in good shape. Liverpool said third. A couple of strange games from Liverpool. Obviously, the uh, the seven two defeat to Aston Villa was remarkable, really, to see a, a Premier League champion humbled in that manner. They took a draw in the Everton game, the derby, a game which. May well have changed the course of their season, given the injuries to, to Virgil van Dijk and Thiago Alcantara. But looks like Thiago's almost back fit again. So, you know, that that is one thing. Draw last time out against City away. So you, you take that result 10 times out of 10. Um, anytime you don't get beaten away to Man City is a, is a solid result. And then Southampton sitting fourth. And when they got walloped by Spurs you really did start to have some concerns about them, about whether or not they were a little bit too naive, whether Ralph was going to be too dogmatic in his approach. But they've changed things up and they've found the right balance. A couple of great results along the way. You know, the three-all draw away to Chelsea, very, very good result. Uh, Obviously, the win away to Villa, probably the best result of the season. Good good win last time out against Newcastle that briefly put them top of the league for the first time uh, in Premier League history. So Southampton can be very, very happy with where they are right now. They've got a good team. They've got balance. They've got some young quality players like Salisu and Diallo to come into this team. They will be very reliant on Danny Ings, but Che Adams has stepped up this season and is is looking like the player they thought they were getting when they bought him. Uh, Chelsea sit fifth, 15 points from their eight games. They've had a favourable a favorable run 
of, of fixtures, I think it's fair to say. You know, they haven't really faced the, the cream of the crop in the league, bar the Liverpool game where they, they lost 2-0 at home. But, you know, 3-1 victory away to Brighton in a game they were outplayed in. Uh, 3-all draw away to West Brom. Very disappointing. 4-0 win at home to Palace was a good result. Palace were playing well at the time. Then that 3-3 draw with Southampton was a bit disappointing. Um, the 0-0 draw against United was just boring. I don't think anybody enjoyed that game. But they've had, you know, the last two games, they've had good performances, good results. 3-0 away to Burnley, 4-1 away to Sheffield United. They've looked a little bit more fluid. They look like they have a bit more of a plan. Frank looked like looks like maybe he's struck on a shape and system that he's going to use consistently for a little while. So, all things considered, Frank will be very happy with where things are right now. Um, they'll want to turn some of those draws into victories. But I think Chelsea can be happy. Aston Villa will be very happy. Like Chelsea, 15 points from their seven games in their their case. Their game in hand is, is against City. Um, a win there would put them top of the league. So how could they not be happy? Uh, Jack Grealish is playing very well. Ross Barkley has settled in quickly and, and is playing well. Ollie Watkins is playing well. Douglas Louise has carried on his form from the second half of last season. They've got good balance. They've got a bit of depth. All things considered, Villa will be very, very happy with where they are after seven games. Everton started well. The first five games, they took 13 points. The last three games have not gone well. They've lost each of the last three games. The lack of Richarlison, the injury to James Rodriguez. They were without Luca Dina for a game. So maybe there's a lack of quality depth there. But when they're at full strength, they are very, very good. They're a very, very good team right now. It's probably the best Everton team we've seen probably since maybe 04. Oh four, oh five. I would say that's this is the best Everton team since then. So but the best Everton team in over fifteen years. And this is Carlo's first summer. So assuming they don't do anything silly and they give him time, I think they can very much look at things and think they're on the correct path. They need more depth. They just got Holgate back though, so that is big for them. He is, I believe, their best defender. Godfrey will come into the team, you'd imagine, next to him at some point. I still think they need a right back. Goalkeeper's the big issue. Uh, Jordan Pickford is not a top-half goalkeeper by any stretch of the imagination. So I think that's they're the two areas that Everton need to strengthen. Potentially in January, but definitely next summer. Crystal Palace are eighth, and like Everton, 13 points from their eight games. They will be delighted with where they are right now. Um, massively, I think, outperforming expectations. Playing a bit more adventurous. Wilf Zaha is playing with a chip on his shoulder. He's playing like a guy who no longer has to carry the entire burden. Who knows, he's got a little bit of help now from the likes of Eberichi Easy, Michi Batshuayi, Au as well. Um, they still have work to do, but they made good signings in the summer. And I think... 
as we go forward, I think we'll see this Palace team evolve a, a little bit more this season. And I said before, I think this is probably Hodgson's last season there. If I was them, though, I would be making sure he stays at the club in some capacity because I think it's important to have someone of his footballing knowledge at the club. Roy Hodgson, regardless of what you think of him as a manager, he knows the game. He knows it inside out. So it's important for Palace to keep hold of him in, in some some regard. Uh, Wolves sit ninth, and they've got the same same record as Everton and um, Palace. But I actually think they'll be disappointed with where they are right now. I think they'll be disappointed with three defeats so far this season. You give them a pass on the opening day. Uh, oh, sorry, they, they they beat Sheffield United on opening day, 2-0. You'd give them a pass on the defeat to City. City are very, very good. There's no shame in losing to them. But I think they will be very concerned by the 4-0 defeat away to West Ham. West Ham were playing pretty terrible at the time. Uh, they bounced back well, though. They beat Fulham. They beat Leeds. The draw against Newcastle, I think they'll be disappointed with as well because they were 1-0 up right to the death. And then Jacob Murphy scored that late free kick. Good win over Palace, but last time out that defeat against Leicester where, look, it's not a bad defeat to lose to Leicester. Leicester are playing for team, but the manner in which Wolves played, I thought, was disappointing. Now, we have rumours uh, going around now that Adama Traore is refusing to sign his new contract and that that is in part why he's not in the team. And if that's true, that is very much Nuno cutting off his nose to spite his face. Adama Traore makes them a lot better. The partnership with him and Raul Jimenez is key to their team. He has a contract till 2023. So it's not like there's a, a short timeline on when they would need to get something done. But he's just broken into the Spanish team. He's making an impact there. His profile is growing. It's only natural he wants to be rewarded for how good of a player he's become. Rumors are he doesn't believe the current contract offer reflects the player he is He is now. And the Athletic today hinted that Wolves might be willing to sell him. Um I think that would be a big mistake, but if they do sell him, there'll be a, a lot of clubs queuing up. A lot of clubs will queue up to buy him. Adama Traore is very, very talented, and he is an absolute nightmare to play against. And then Man City sit 10th, and again, they will be rather disappointed with 12 points from seven games. Three draws, that's not going to sit well with Pep. Obviously, the one against Liverpool, I think he'll be okay with, but the draw to West Ham was very disappointing from their behalf as was the one with Leeds, because they were they were outplayed in that Leeds game. Um, their one defeat thus far this season, they got walloped by Leicester. Um, that's something that will be disappointing. But I think what will be most disappointing for them is the fact they've only scored 10 goals. They don't look like Man City going forward. They don't look like themselves at all. And I know they've had Aguero out, and I know they've had Gabi Jesus out. But it's not like they're creating the chances for someone else to miss. They're playing quite a stale brand of football. And it's very unusual for, for Manchester City and for Guardiola 
for this to be the case. You're looking at a team that has just ransacked the league over the last couple of seasons in terms of the goals they've scored. Last season, they scored 102 goals. Season before, they scored 95. Season before that, they scored 106. Like, they've just scored a lot of goals over the last three years. And this year, they are struggling in that regard. Over the last four years that Pep has been at the club, they've averaged over two goals a game because they scored 80 in the 16-17 season. So they're averaging over two goals a game, whereas this season it's just over the one. It's like 1.3, I think. And that's disappointing for City. Now, I don't think that will be the case for the entirety of the season. I think we will see City go up through the gears at some point and find their form. They do have that game in hand. Uh, as I said, it is against Villa, so it will be a tough game. But you would still expect Man City to beat Aston Villa. But I don't think they'll be too happy with where they are right now. So in that top 10, I think it is just City and Wolves who will be unhappy with where they are right now. I think everybody else will be pretty happy, especially Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Villa, Everton and Palace. I think we'll all be very happy. And Southampton, obviously. Spurs will probably wish, you know... Rue, the, the, the drop points. Spurs will probably believe that they should be top. And they should. In truth, they should be top. They shouldn't have thrown away um, the game against West Ham. Whatever about the one against Newcastle. That West Ham game, they were home and dry. And somehow managed to mess it up. But in the top 10, I think they're the only club, other than Wolves and City, who won't be happy. Everyone else will be very, very happy. Palace will be ecstatic. Uh, we'll go through the bottom 10 tomorrow. We'll wrap up with a bit of news. Manchester United and France midfielder Paul Pogba says he is currently going through the most difficult spell of his career due to concerns over playing time at Old Trafford. Uh, I'm wondering what he means by spell. Does he mean the last four years? Is that what he means? Because, as I've said before, I think Paul Pogba from a talent point of view, is incredible. He's, there's no question he's a world-class talent, but he's never become a world-class player. His last season at Juventus was the last season you could point to and say that's world-class. But since joining United, he's had one good season, and it was just a good season. It wasn't a great season by any stretch. And three disappointing ones, and he's been disappointing again this year. United do look better at times when he's out of the team. I don't think he's done any favours by... You know, the, the setup, I'm not sure. I've always said I, d I didn't think the Pogba-Bruno thing would work in midfield. Um, I, I think United will be better off looking to move him on. I think if they sell him in January or the summer, they can just wipe their hands of, of that silly, silly spell they went through of just trying to throw, throw money at a problem. Now, they're still in that spell to an extent. You know, we saw it with the Maguire signing, the Wambasaka signing. Um, again, I think the Donny van de Beek signing is just a signing for the sake of a signing. I think it is just buying someone just to pacify the fans. I don't think there's a real plan at United. And there won't be until they appoint a director of football and really put a structure in place that's going to put that club on the right foot and get them moving in the right direction. Um, but Pogba is a big part of the problem and he can whinge and moan all he wants. 
he's not getting playing time because he's not not deserving playing time. Uh, Manchester United will make signing a striker their priority for 2021 with Borussia Dortmund's Erling Braut Holland and Inter Milan's Lauturo Martinez their top targets. Martinez was strongly linked with City last summer. Um, Holland would be Holland for any club would be a great signing. Martinez for most clubs would be a great signing. He's a, a tremendous player. He's a little bit more of a difficult fit. I think Haaland would be the more natural fit at City. But uh, Martinez is a, is a top player. I'm just not sure he's... I'm not sure he's the one that they want, unless they want to use him in the same way they've been using Ferran Torres, not the way they've used Aguero and Gabi Jesus. Um, City are contemplating a 100 million double move for Aston Villa midfielders Jack Grealish and Douglas Luiz. I'm going to say that no, they're not. I just don't see any way that that's something they would do. Belgian midfielder Kevin De Bruyne says he's in talks with Manchester City over a new deal, but discussions are not advanced. It makes sense for them to sign him up. He is their best player. He's the best player in the league. He's one of the five or six best players in the world, maybe even you know top three. Uh, he's a tremendous footballer, and they need to keep him. Simple as that. Chelsea have agreed a deal in principle to sell Timiu Bakayoko to Napoli when his loan move finishes at the end of the season. I believe that was part of the loan deal. I don't know why that's news. Um, I wouldn't put too much stock into that one. AC Milan's Turkish midfielder Hakan Chalanaglu could be on his way to Atletico Madrid after contract talks with the Italian club hit a problem, although Manchester United remain interested. He would be the most pointless signing United could make. They already have Bruno. They have Danny van de Beek, they have Pogba who can play that attacking midfield role. They have Lingard, they have Mata. You know, they just don't need another attacking midfielder. Um, it would just be silly. Chelsea's German midfield, uh, sorry, Chelsea's German defender Antonio Rudiger is keen on joining Barcelona in January after falling out of favour. Of course, he's keen on joining Barcelona. Who wouldn't be keen? Um, even with the, the mess the club is in, who wouldn't be keen? Liverpool's sporting director, Michael Edwards, reportedly decided against making a move for uh, Kaladu Koulibaly because of the asking price. No, that's just not true. They didn't have any interest in him to, to begin with. So, no. Uh, former Red Bull Leipzig coach, oh, sorry, Racing Bull Sports Club coach, um, Ralph Ra- Ranić believes French centre-back Dale Upamecano, who is a transfer target for, for Liverpool, would be a success at Bayern Munich. I think he'll be a success anywhere he goes for at least the first couple of years. I do have some concerns about how he will age, though. He's had a number of injury problems to this point in his career, and he is—he has that heavy set build, kind of like Wayne Rooney, that you just wonder, will he hit a certain point and then just start to continually break down? Now, he may not. It may just be me worrying for the sake of worrying, but... I do have some long-term concerns over Rupert Meccano. Uh, Juventus are all are in. Sorry, Juventus are in talks with Wolves over a move for Pablo Neto. Pedro Neto. No, they're not. Absolutely not. It's nonsense. Uh, former Aston Villa striker Kevin Phillips believes Dean Smith should persuade Chelsea's unknown midfielder Ross Barkley to sign for the new club on the, on a permanent deal. I 100% agree with that. I think. It would be madness for Villa not to be in his ear non-stop about sticking at the club. He is playing brilliantly. It's the best form we've seen from Barkley in a long time. He has the faith of his manager. 
He's one of the best players in the team without being the best player and without having to carry the team. It's the perfect situation. Former Chelsea and England centre-back John Terry, currently head, uh, sorry, assistant head coach at Aston Villa, could be an option for the vacant manager's job at Derby after Philippe Koku's departure. I mean, Wayne Rooney seems to be one of the the frontrunners. There's been talk of Rafa Benitez, who would make the most sense, you know, as an actual manager. Um, I think it's the new owners are going to make this decision. So I have a feeling they will go for a proven manager rather than, you know, an ex-player with a couple of months or a couple of years of experience as an assistant. But John Terry obviously has has ambition to become a manager and um, Derby would be a, a you know a good club to start with. Obviously, we saw Lampard go there and do quite well, so you know it would be quite interesting to see um, see John Terry follow him. Former Manchester United and England midfielder Paul Scholes says he considered a move to Everton after deciding to come out of retirement in 2012. That is absolutely bizarre, and he he has said that, so you can't deny it. It's absolutely bizarre that he would consider that. Anyway, the last thing I wanted to touch on today, um, we have seen in the UK media outlets run agendas against certain footballers. Raheem Sterling is the obvious one from talk about his attitude to how he was spending his money. And it it kind of amplified from there. And it was only really the strong mentality of, of Raheem Sterling that got him through that phase and didn't derail his career. Now, over the past couple of days, we've seen a dreadful article in the Daily Mirror about how United have massive concerns over Mason Greenwood. Um, And then a disgusting article in the Daily Mail with regards to Marcus Rashford and how Marcus has invested a sum of his own money in property. And it was it was almost done as if to say, who is this man to come out and plague our beautiful government towards providing meals for for children when he's got i think five houses worth you know combined two million or something like that and rashford responded and basically said that he made a decision a couple of years ago to that you know when he had the money because he came from nothing he was going to invest in property and he was going to grow a portfolio that way and protect himself and his family for the long term the decisions made by the UK media towards their players is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And it is nonstop. It is always somebody. There's always somebody getting the digs. We've seen in recent weeks the media bias against Mo Salah, but Mo Salah is a foreign player. So, you know, you can kind of understand in a way that they wouldn't be as protective of a player just because he plays in the Premier League. But surely... Surely, young English players deserve protection, warrant that protection, especially ones as talented as Greenwood and Rashford, especially one who has done so much off the field for the good of the country as Rashford. 
I mean, what Marcus Rashford has done over the past six, seven months is truly remarkable. He is a remarkable human being. And the, the Mason Greenwood thing, I mean, fair enough, he's probably been late a couple of days. Like, take him in, give him a kick in the backside, and, you know, solve that. That's not a big thing. It's not like, I mean, the, the comparison that was made was Ravel Morrison, who, you know, was had fell, fallen in with gangs and had all kinds of issues in his private life. I don't think anything like that is comparable to Mason Greenwood. Mason Greenwood's just a kid. He's made a couple of silly mistakes. But Phil Foden made the same mistake when they were away with the national team. Don't hear a word about him. I wonder what the difference is between Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood. It's bizarre that those two newspapers... Now, I don't... I'm in no way surprised by the Daily Mail. They are... I mean, that is sewage. The Daily Mail is basically sewage. And I would urge people not to read it. It is utter sewage. And what gets me as well is when you, you see the names on the byline and you look them up on social media and they don't seem to have a social media presence, which is weird for journalists. And you then wonder, are they is that the real names of those people? Or are they too scared to put their real name on the article? Um... I just think they should be ashamed. It was the same thing when Sterling bought a house for his sister. He was criticized for it for you know splashing the cash. Then he was seen in Poundland and he got criticized for that as well. The guy can't win. Um it looks like Rashford, unfortunately, is going to experience some of this as well. Now, the one thing I will say for Marcus Rashford is he has no problem responding. He has no problem immediately calling out BS when he sees it. And he did that straight away, which was good. But that and the nonsense about Greenwood, it just, it really concerns me that this is how the best young English talents are treated. And it's no surprise that, you know, the likes of Jaden Sancho and Jude Bellingham decided to take the talents to the Bundesliga away from all the nonsense in the Premier League. All the nonsense about with the media that cover English football. I I think we're going to see more and more English players move abroad. Young English players. Particularly black ones. Because, as terrible as it is to say, there's no question that there is a racial element to the criticism that they receive. You know, it reminds me of what happened at Derby County a couple months back where some idiot on the radio said that the black players had a bit too much about them, a little bit too much ego, you know. How can anyone think that that's okay? But that's what this is. That's what this is. And to whatever Tory cabinet member spoke to the Daily Mail and pushed them, to write this garbage because they've been made look like absolute fools by Marcus Rashford. Shame on you. That's it. That's my show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hope you. I really hope you had a good weekend. Um, I hope everybody's well. This lockdown is, is dragging by, but we'll get through it, folks. We will get through it, and we'll be back to normal at some point. Could take a while, but we will get there. We will get back to normal. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, as always, for his uh, his help with this podcast. And thank you to Fox Hunt 
for our title music. Do make sure you check out eplindex.com and libertyshield.com. Use my code EPLVPN, 20% off. You can't go wrong. Uh, until tomorrow, I will see you later. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.